Welcome to the second season of After Hours, an interview podcast series from Lady. I'm Laura McClose Helms, a fashion and cultural historian. Starting a new season of the podcast, but still focused on the same questions, the same stories. With this podcast, I've been seeking out cultural creatives who have not only achieved great success in their careers, but have also intentionally molded their lives around their passions. Each has created their ideal life in much the same way they produce their creative work. Through decisive vision and action, through making decisions that allow them to succeed in the facets of life that are important to them. I actually started recording these interviews last year, but due to a busy life and the success of our clothing line Marshmallow, I had to stow the recordings away for a bit. One of the important lessons I've learned from all these interviews is to do what makes you happy while seeking a balance between work and being overworked. <laughs> um, putting the podcast on hiatus for a bit was my way of preventing burnout. I kept doing interviews whenever I could, amassing a small group of them, and then I took most of August to edit. I've told you before that at Lady we believe in celebrating slow culture and the more tactile, intimate parts of life. How is it possible to achieve great career success yet still live an intimate, intentional life? Intention in everything feels a worthy lesson to take from my interviewees. Last winter I had the wonderful opportunity to meet the photographer Tony Vaccaro at his studio in Long Island City. Now 96, Vaccaro continues to visit this studio every day. There one of his sons and his son's wife work, managing Tony's archive alongside the digital editor Manolo. As you'll hear both Frank and Maria join in the interview at times, adding memories and also helping to clarify some of Tony's thoughts. Tony's a totally remarkable human who has had a totally remarkable career. Born in Pennsylvania in 1922 to Italian immigrant parents, Tony was orphaned in 1926 when both his parents passed away while the family was in the process of returning to Italy. Raised by his paternal grandmother in Bonifro, he returned to the U.S. at the outbreak of World War II. After finishing high school, he was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1943. Sent to the front lines in Europe as an infantryman, Vaccaro brought with him his compact 35mm rangefinder, and with it vividly captured all aspects of a soldier's life. The chaos, the boredom, the destruction, the death. He stayed in Germany after the war, photographing the reconstruction for four years before returning to the U.S. in 1949. Once back in New York, he shot for Fleur Cole's legendary Flair magazine, as well as Look magazine, before becoming a staff photographer at Life. Shooting fashion and celebrities for these magazines was vastly different than his previous experience as a war and documentary photographer, but to all of his images he brought a love of symmetry and a deep humanity. His photographs of celebrities like Sophia Loren and Georgia O'Keeffe reveal more than just their aesthetic beauty, and so it's unsurprising that these photographs have become iconic and widely reprinted. While shooting a life story in Finland in 1963 about Mari Mekko, he met one of their models, Anya. They married and had two sons. The family lived on Central Park West until 1979, when he separated from his wife and moved to Long Island City along with his archive of hundreds of thousands of images. Tony's been widely awarded for both his photographic work and his time as a soldier. In 1994, he was awarded the French Legion of Honor at the celebrations marking the 50th anniversary of the Normandy landings. Talking with Tony, he kept returning to the subject of humanity, the idea that we are all one, that there are no true differences in race or nationality other than the ones we choose to believe in. As someone who experienced the worst atrocities of war, who saw so many of his friends and comrades die, who saw the destruction of communities and countries, Tony's perspective on this that should be listened to. As our governments seem to forget previous atrocities in their effort to create hate and disharmony, it would be valuable for us to listen to our elders, those who survived the worst and are still here to share about it. Tony was able to survive the war and create a highly successful life for himself, both in career and family, but many others were not so lucky. Due to his age, Ricardo sometimes stumbled on his words, but I think his meaning should be clear. Also, he jumped very quickly from subject to subject, sometimes returning much later to an unfinished thought earlier. I've tried in the editing to make it as clear as possible, but also allowed him the, you know, the option of being how he is. The sound isn't perfect on this interview. There was background noise in the office and Tony spoke softly, often moving around in order to grab something to show me. But I feel that even with the poor sound and lack of cohesive timeline, that it is still a really wonderful exploration of Tony's life and work. Enjoy. Coles who was the editor of Flair magazine. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a Flair? Yeah, it's a beautiful magazine. Thank you. 
she saw this picture of a GI dead in the snow where I kept the snow as white as possible. Mm -hmm. And Fleur Coles saw this picture and she said to me, at that time, uh, people were doing fashion normal. But when she saw this whole white, can you do all my fashions this style? So I said, of course I can. You know, as a matter of fact, I am going now through the history of how it all came about. It's a, it's what it's amazing is that all of this deals with going from a normal photograph to this style, and it was Fleur that um, helped me to change from a normal photographer to a selective photographer. It so happens that at that time I was living in a penthouse at 6 West 77 in New York City. I passed through there about a month ago and all this came back. How from this penthouse uh, I really began to do this style white Mm -hmm. Simple. Go right to the subject and forget what's not necessary. So, what can I do for you? <laughs> Thank you for sitting down with me. I usually like to start at the sort of at the beginning, you know, with the childhood. I'll be going to Italy soon mm -hmm. for a, a while. So, where you go back to in Italy is that where you grew up? From the age of four, yes, mm -hmm. I was born in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. December 20, 1922. How did you become interested in photography? Because uh, I didn't like to work in a studio. I wanted to find a way to see the universe, the world. And so at 18, 19, I went, I flew in a helicopter. Mm -hmm. I paid a lots of money. Uh, I shall later I'll tell you how I made the money. And I flew over the South Pole. Do you know what's at the South Pole? No, nothing. A simple empty barrel like this, and then uh, all around about two, three hundred yards from the South Pole. Now, these barrels, you know what they are? No. Well, machine people go there with machines. You cannot go horses. It's freezing mm -hmm. in the South Pole, just, just like the North Pole, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, because the Earth is around, that part of the Earth never sees the Sun. The Earth mm -hmm. is in the way. Do you understand? Yeah. So, and I only understood when I was in this helicopter over the South Pole. And at the South Pole, there is an empty barrel. There are no gas stations, so any machine that goes there has to carry its own mm -hmm. gas station, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Yeah. And that's what I did. Then. Uh, from the South Pole, let's assume this is the South Pole, okay? Uh, and up here, uh, uh, from the South Pole, you go in when uh, the Earth begins to be Earth and no longer ice. Mm -hmm. 
the South Pole and the North Pole, it's all ice because the sun never gets there. The roundness of the earth keeps the sun from going there. So people who go there, they carry with them gasoline, you see, Mm -hmm. to stay warm to whatever energy they need, you see. So what I did, I paid a good fortune to, uh, I made some money working. I went to the South Pole when the money were running out, I uh, went back to Lake Nile. From the Lake Nile, I went to the Nile River and I walked... Lake Victoria? For, yeah, 46 days oh, wow. in 1940. 46 days. When I arrived there, there was the leader of Egypt, Colonel Nasser. You ever heard of Mm -hmm. Nasser? He was not in Cairo, he was in Alexandria. Alexandria is on, on the Mediterranean Sea. So I walked 46 days to get there. His first words were, I wanted to see this crazy man who walked 46 days along the Nile River. When I arrived at there, at Alexandria, he was waiting for me where the Nile goes into the Mediterranean. He was there. I talked with him and then I looked in the sea. What's in the sea? A Roman column. And it says, that's your friend, Julius Caesar. 2,000 years ago, he was here. (laughs) Small world, Mm -hmm. huh? So, Anyway, I became friendly with Colonel Nasser, the leader of Egypt. The king of Egypt was uh, abusive. He was a professional gambler. He was gambling in uh, southern Italy where they did that sort sort of thing. And I became a friend of Nasser. I stayed 46 days there. No, 46 days was your trip down the Nile. Yes. We've never determined how long you were in Egypt, but he has photos of Nasser and his family. But he was a representative of Look magazine. Mm -hmm. By then, yes. Wherever he went. Yes, the pictures were published by Look. Before then, I already had done the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, this picture was just uh, as the war ended. This GI got killed there uh, during the Battle of the Bulge. Yes, Frank? Well, the war ended May 8th. This, he died January 10th. It was the end of the Battle of the Bulge, for sure. My son. <laughs> Anyway, I married a, a woman from Finland. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. There is Finland. There's over a thousand miles of Bonifro in Italy. Uh, and that's because uh, she was a model for Marimekko. And Mari- at that time I was working book magazine eventually also life magazine I decided what I wanted to do was to photograph those people that gave mankind some culture mm-hmm. and I thought that Picasso had done it George O'Keefe had done it you know and other 
uh, people, Frank Lloyd Wright, had done. See, they were all people that gave mankind culture. And this is to show you an idea how I went from street photography, uh, even street photography, I gave some design, some, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and people, as you can see, the Sophia Lauren, I gave it my touch. Oh well. She looks beautiful. But you see, uh, and apparently here she was kind of tired, oh, you know, but I added, I was studying what you can do with a human body. Mm -hmm. Then uh, this car came to me and uh, and I took one picture and I made $2,000 <laughs> and so I could go back among nature for the, but I, uh, as you can see, I introduced at that time, people were not doing things orderly, mm. you know, I, uh, Did you do a lot of advertising work? Well, when they saw my work, yes, mm -hmm. I began to get a lot of work because uh, other photographers, if, if you look at my work, you see, I am orderly. You, mm -hmm. you understand? They, they uh, even see how I keep this line parallel, trying, you know. Yeah. This is uh, a Ferrari going at 200 miles an hour, and mm -hmm. I stopped it, you know, and I did it. When uh, Mr. Ferrari saw my work, then he asked me, could you come to my factory? And I went there, and I made lots of money, and again, I invested in... Uh, in photography. Uh, then uh, artists began uh, to wanting to meet me and uh, and I did. I also did a story on a little nudes, nudes and, and but these uh, putties, uh, little people, I went to their world where they lived, and these are, they were the midgets, you see, mm -hmm. midgets, and that was early, 1947. So, midgets theater in Germany, 1947. So, I was conscious of what I was doing. I hadn't been in Africa, so, here I am in Nigeria. Beautiful. Uh, yes, yes. See how wonderful. I uh, I took these African people and gave them order. Mm -hmm. Order is the trick. Yeah. Of all the types of photography you've done, fashion, beauty, portraits, what did you enjoy doing the most? I wanted to expand photography. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do things so that other photographers could play just like me, mm -hmm. influence. I actually influenced, just to show you this uh, with uh, my army unit. This is my army unit, mm -hmm. and this is me here. And these are all people that I did the war with. Half of them were all killed, and the other another half were all wounded. 
and only like 15, 20 never got hit. I got hit twice. Uh, this, this, by the way, is the camera with which I photographed the war. After the war, I bought others so that I could use uh, black and white, negative color, positive color, uh, you know. This was my father's camera. My father's camera and my father's opera uh, binoculars. He used to go to the opera take this along. Did you so, bring all of the film with you for the war? How did you have all that film? Uh, I took with me a lot of film, but I had a sister, Gloria, uh, who sent me film regularly. And you could get packages in the, in the war? Yes, oh, okay. packages, yes. My mother and father died uh, when uh, my sister was six, I was four, the other sister was two. Now Sue, apparently uh, she's alive according to, but she doesn't remember me. So that is she's why She's got like, I, dementia or something, right? I have not gone to that mm -hmm. because if, if she doesn't remember me, why go that far? You started taking photos in high school, right? It began, uh, I, uh, could you give me Lincoln? Lincoln? When I did this, mm -hmm. uh, I did it because uh, I wanted to become a sculptor. However, a Mr. Bertram Lewis had already given me lessons in photography. He felt that I had a knife for photography. And he, when I showed this to him, uh, I said, uh, you know, I, I am uh, becoming a sculptor. And Mr. Lewis put this, the original clay. Mm -hmm. And she says, oh, Tony, this is great. You know, uh, he said, but you know, you are really a born photographer. Forget sculpturing, you can do it. Uh, it's a hobby. You are great. You are born photographer, Mr. Lewis. And that's, that's all I made. Mm -hmm. When he said you're a born photographer, I trusted him and I became a photographer. And all of those are deal with photography. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, all of these are, this is just one of them. That's a lot of, yeah, a lot of negatives. Lot Amazing. Of, yes. I, yeah, I watched the documentary on your war um, experience, which was amazing to see. I mean, I can't imagine having gone through that and still living, you know. I was lucky, I was lucky that I survived. Mm -hmm. I was wounded twice. Were you injured badly? But uh, all kind of scratches. I was very lucky. How much did your experience of the war affect you through the rest of your life? That mankind has to improve himself. different nations, 
just just different thing. We don't look at the similarity of the species. We're still looking at the difference of the species. Mm -hmm. That's bullshit. Our similarity is what we have to explore. You know, and this mm -hmm. is one of the reasons in this studio where well, we, we research uh, the similarity of men rather than the difference of men. Mm. You know. Voila. Very true, especially uh, true now. I like ordering photography, as you can see. Uh, things have to be ordered. If you look at all of these, you will see behind each. Uh, there's a lot of portraits because <coughs> people are very important to me. Mm -hmm because I am a person like billions of others and they're dancing, whatever they do, I like to stop with a camera. Mm -hmm. Is so, that after the, after the war you stayed in Europe for a couple of years? Yes. And what was that, I mean, like? Uh, I stayed in Europe I like Europe I like the mentality of the European what I don't like is that we make a difference we we distance people from people. Mm -hmm. uh, we're letting abstract words confuse our brain. We are all humans. But at the same time, we are French, we are Italian, we are Germans, we are Russians, we're this, we're that. We're not. If we take a piece of our face and look in a microscope, we see men. We can't tell if it's French, Italian, Russian. That's all artificial. Mm. We are humans. Period. Not French, not Italian, not Russian. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Well, believe it or not, if you go to Europe, they'll tell you that I am crazy. No, they don't. Well, in a way. Many, yes, well, now I have. I have a following. Yeah. What counts is we cannot tell a Frenchman different from an Italian or a Russian, even a black. But we can tell that the black blood, Italian blood, French blood, it's all so we're still, uh, and that's what we're doing. See the way the world is, and how can we improve it? How can humanity survive? But as I talk to you now, there are wars around the world. Mm -hmm. 
humans killing humans. When you were, you know, during the reconstruction and you were in Germany, you know, in the post-war years, how were the Germans to you as an, Amer- you know, an American? I have a lot of friends, the Germans. My agent is German. Mm-hmm. He sells my picture. I mean, back, you know, right after the war. It was tough after the war because uh, the Italians want to be Italians. The French want to be French. And still now, how can we unite the world? It is quite possible that somewhere else there is another earth where people are. I don't think we're the only ones in the universe. The universe is endless. And you then when you came back to the US, it was your first job with Fleur or how did you, you know, move from doing photography, you know, for yourself during the war and then for the Stars and Stripes? Uh, well, Stars and Stripes, it was a business. I needed to make money. Mm-hmm. Actually, I uh, went almost a year on my bank account. But then I realized that I have to make my pictures, products. I'm trying to make uh, photography giving me a living. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want you to come here and I don't want you to be too philosophical that 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 the nuts and bolts that she might want. Well, no, but it's I, a, I'm I, happy I, for him to talk, I, just to talk as I, he wants. I talked to her because she came here and she wants me to discover me. No, Dad. I I released <laughs> myself to her. You have. Now I am asking her what we can have, I do? Have, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. He had a hard upbringing. Mm-hmm. Really hard. And I think that he took... I know that you took solace in the art books from your stepmom. That was um, Domenica? Donofrio's wife. Yes. And... And I think that there was a moment for him when he came to America, when he was in the dark room for the first time, being taught photography. And he saw in the dark room the photos that he took. So I think that that for, for the upbringing you had with that, that awful man, I think photography proved, and you're an orphan, and you spoke Italian when you came to America, you didn't speak English. So photography gave him the time and the place, proved to him the time and the place that, that he existed, mm-hmm. and he was able to frame his time and yeah. place. sort of create, and also the, he keeps talking about the structure, creating the structure within, the f- image is creating structure within life that you can't, feel like you can't control. You started duplicating the art books you grew up with, the art books that, that helped you through it. And, and, and we don't find a bad photo contact sheet after contact sheet. There are no mm-hmm. thumbs. There's no thumbs. There's no out of focus. There's technically, Arthur Rothstein said he's technically superb in the field, in the studio, in the dark room. Mm-hmm. He always tried new equipment. He never took a vacation. Talking about 25 years. So we have 600, 700,000 images. Amazing. And the fashion was never exhibited. What was your war from your celebrities? And we're, we're getting that fashion out. He's helping us identify models, locations. Because he, he was uh, he was he was close to replacing Avedon at Harper's Bazaar. And it didn't happen. They they because you were faithful to look and Well Avedon's favorite model left him and came to me. Oh Davina. Well she went she went back Davina. and forth. Mm-hmm. She did go back and forth. She went back and forth. And then he died. But but I, I wish You've seen he takes with a grain of salt everything he did, but it's, I'm discovering it at the age of 50. It's amazing. When you were growing up, did you know no. how big of a deal he was? No, I thought everybody's father had a photo of Picasso. I, I knew about Picasso and Sophia Loren and, and 
you know, what are we going to do with dad's photos when he's gone? Oh, we'll just put them in storage, I guess. No, as soon as we had the grandkids four years ago, for the first time after 20 years of marriage, he said, at brunch, let's go, let's go to a notary. I want to give you power of attorney to run the business. As, he, as if he had been waiting. In four and a half years, <clears throat> I will be one I'm amazing. <laughs> anyway, all right, so you're happy? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. Um, How does it feel to be almost a hundred? Marvelous. Marvelous. How have you been able to maintain your health? Frank Wright gave me this many years ago. Oh wow! And I said, uh, I I don't need it. It was maybe twenty, thirty years ago. And he said, oh, the day will come when you will need it, and here it is. <laughs> fantastic. But this is the landing in Normandy, this was it. And it was all through up to Berlin. Mm. And from Berlin, we went to Stuttgart, and then I began to buy other cameras, but this was the one that I made a landing in Normandy with, and this was my father's camera, and then all of the others I used at one time or another. Did you prefer, a lot of these are 35 millimeter, did you, was that your favorite, or did you uh, just it's, like? Uh, it's my favorite, yes. I like one twenty two mm-hmm. and four four by five, which is uh my uh this is the first medal that was given to a photographer, Michael Abacar, nineteen sixty three. So the first time that the American Society of Magazine Photographers, uh, which did not exist before, but uh, it was created, and I uh, I made this collection of cameras that I used at one time or another. But these two, this, and there's another one. And did you but prefer much. black and white or color? Did you have a uh, favorite? Uh, so this is, this is a I like both. You just chose based on what you were, the job yeah. was? Yes, I, I like both. Uh, how I met this man, you know who he is? Marcel Marcel. Marcel Marcel. The war is over. Mm-hmm. I took some great pictures of the war. The one at the end of the war, Mrs. Roosevelt came to welcome GIs in Berlin. Mm-hmm. By the way, do you know what Berlin stands for? There, there many towns are named after animals and other things. Torino in Italy. It's the Toro. You see, so the connection. I'm telling this to you. What unifies mankind? Is that we all on this earth see the world similarly? Mm-hmm. You know, you had started to talk about 
Marcel Marceau, how you met him? I went uh, the first time in Paris. I arrived uh, at night, so I chose an hotel and uh, next morning I go to a restaurant and I found out that if I ordered a sandwich and if I had the sandwich in the place, I would have to tip somebody. I didn't have money to tip. So what I did was to order it, go out, and I went behind Notre Dame. There's a little park, small park, just from here to that building there. This behind Notre Dame, the cathedral. So I had my sandwich there. I look about 60, 70 yards from me, and there is another man eating a sandwich. That was <laughs> this man. And uh, and because of that, here we became friends, and I discovered he was the great, the greatest mime I've ever came across. And it was my idea to take him to America. Um, and. Uh, and do his thing in America. And this is, he came to Chicago and he made money and I'm happy that I helped him to make money. Mm -hmm. And we became friends. I think he's passed away now. But these are taken shortly after I had met him in France, mm -hmm. in Notre Dame uh, Park, in the back of the, the back of the Notre Dame Cathedral. Of all of these very famous, very influential people that you you photographed, who impressed you the most? Or? Well, the best, of course, was Picasso. Mm -hmm. When I went to photograph Picasso, uh, the way he welcomed me, and I stayed there for nearly 60 days, I couldn't shake him away from him. He needed company. And so I stayed close to 60 days. That's a long time, two months. Uh, and that's, that was that time. He opened himself and then uh, I ran into other great people. I worked uh, both for Look and Life magazine. Life sent me to Nigeria to do a story on Nigerian people. Uh, uh, I did that also for Life. The top one is Givenchy, mm -hmm. a portrait of him. That too was for life. Were you ever nervous before you went to go? Mm? Were you ever nervous before you went to go photograph someone? No, I was not never nervous. Mm. Uh, 
I always consider myself uh, an artist, mm -hmm. but I always, if you look at this picture, you can see that there is an appreciation of geometry. Things have to be orderly. Mm -hmm. The eye that I had, the, the picture had to obey geometric laws. Mm -hmm. And it just came natural. And when did you did you reti when did you retire from photo you know photographing for magazines? When they all folded, went out of business mm -hmm. and they folded. And then, but by then, uh, I had become known, and people came directly to me mm -hmm. for help. Where are you from originally? I was born here. Where? In Manhattan. Oh, Manhattan. Um, but I grew up in London, in England. You lived in London? Mm -hmm. I moved there when I was six, so... I liked London. I met Churchill. Oh. I met many. I met the king and queen. They came to my studio uh, to see how I worked at Look Magazine. Mm -hmm. I had an incredible studio. Uh, I have now a big room at home. Six West Seventies. Six West Seventy Seven. That's in New York City. I don't. I am not there anymore. Although I want to go there, I want to see who lives there. Mm -hmm. I uh, I would. Uh, I I like it there because I was on Central Park. Yeah. Uh, Dad, that was Nancy Friday bought it from you in 1981, but she passed away uh, about 18 months ago. Oh, and really? I don't know what they're doing with it. And she made it a duplex with what she had. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, wow. I'm yeah. Nancy Friday? Amazing. Yes. I've read she some of her books. She bought my place. Mm -hmm. she, she used to have the most amazing late night visitors. Oh, my God. I can't imagine looked like Studio 54 closed and they went to her apartment. Let's go that way. Oh my gosh. Did you go to that apartment? No. Did you know that she was on 77th Street? No. Yeah. So all, of, all the photographs of me and my brother are taken from what became her apartment for the last 30 years. Mm. I was uh, 16 when we sold it. And I, remember, I remember you had a family meeting. He goes, We're never going to see that amount of money in our lifetime. Now it's, I think it's a $15 million apartment. Yeah. And that's, that was a few years ago, I heard. So always me and my brother playing on the oh terrace. Oh, my gosh. And it, it's, just, it's just how we grew up. And he was entertaining, you know. I he love was that. entertaining everybody in that, in that penthouse. To have that kind of a view in New York City? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess we could see from 59th Street all the way up. This is uh, inside the apartment. It mm. had a working fireplace. And, uh, what is that? Does that building have a name? It's one of the one named no. ones now. Six West was uh, was the one that was on the terrace facing the park. Wow. This is looking exactly east, and it was huge. It was the smallest apartment in the building because it had about 4,000 square feet of terrace overlooking the park. I feel like it was a roof maintenance apartment mm. that they converted to a real apartment. The kitchen was insanity. This is the photographer Marvin Newman on the terrace. It's the backdrop for almost all of our family photos. 
and the fireworks, now they're in, on the East River and the Hudson River, alternatively, down by Battery Park. But the fireworks, prior to 1979, were always over Central Park. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. From I the lake, from the little lake across from the Dakota. And so we used to see the fireworks, you know, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. 4th of July. So that looks like it was an incredible apartment. Yeah, tiny. I think the kitchen was the size of this desk. <laughs> but yeah. the food that came out of it is Great food. food. Yes. I entertain as much as a hundred people. Did you cook or did your wife cook? Oh, cook. You cook? Tony taught mom. Did you, like Italian food? Or anything. Anything? I travel a lot. I learn foods of the world. I live in Algeria for a couple months. Mm-hmm. I learned how they live. Uh, I lived in Spain. I lived in Egypt. I lived in Istanbul. When I uh, met uh, Nasser, we looked into the sea, and there was a Roman column, and he tells me that was Julius Caesar's building. Crazy. So you still go back to your town in Italy. Whereabouts in Italy is it? It's between Rome and Naples, and a town is called Bonifro. And I may go back there soon. Mm -hmm. I want to do some writing. There's some old people there that I want to interview. They went over a hundred. I want to talk to them before they go. Yeah. Yeah, I myself am close to 96. Next two months I'll be 96. I was very sportive. Uh, I love to run. I established in this village uh, records. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed running, and uh, it was my uh, ego. When you are in a team, you share. I want you to be alone, <laughs> and uh, and that's when I broke the record. How did the documentary about you come about? So it, uh, it was filmed 10 years ago, oh. 15 years ago, by a friend of Tony's. And it was put on hold. And uh, no one thought anything would be out of it. It was just a, a man with a small crew following Tony, retracing the steps mm-hmm. through the war. And I'm just giving him a break yeah. to eat. And uh, <coughs> then he approached HBO. And they were very interested, and they said, yeah, let's add more fluff into it, meaning all the people who were interviewed, yeah, like James Estran and all the other guys. And uh, it did so well that uh, was, I mean, documentaries are just you know, a small little window in someone's life. But it, uh, it, um, it did so well that it was actually nominated for Emmy last year. Amazing. It was really nicely done. So um, we are in the works of doing a documentary on Tony after the war and his, mm-hmm. and his you know, 80 year career as a photographer because that is something no one really you know, mm-hmm. has the window off because all the photos that Tony has taken, I swear, have a little story behind. And they're so precious that we just don't want to lose them. As I walked with the army, mm-hmm. from uh, Normandy to Berlin. We arrived in a town called Magdeburg. 
I arrived in this town, Magdeburg, and I see two American MPs holding a door, guarding a door. I go there, and this is where I was different from other soldiers. Before I was a soldier, I was a human being. What interested me was not another soldier, but humanity. What is humanity doing on this earth? How did we develop out of nothing? How did this earth start itself? And then how many billions of years passed for creatures to begin to grow on this earth? How did mankind begin? When did we begin? And so I discovered that there are two caves where mankind lived like an animal. One is near Bilbao and one is near Milano. The caves, they're still there. You can go miles inside of the earth. I went there. And so I became interested in the birth of mankind. How did we come? How did we develop into what we are? We're just another animal, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, animals came about, we came about. When the first time, excuse me, I went in Paris, uh, I went there with not much money, but I wanted to make enough money so that I could go back to Rome, where I was from. Actually, I was not born in Rome, I was born in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. I went to Rome only later when I grew up and my mother and father died. Uh, an uncle uh, took care of me, but this uncle was abusive. He hit me all the time. And even here, when I ran here and broke the local record, I took 59 seconds. If I had known, I would have certainly run one second faster just to do it in a minute, you know. Uh, but the, break, the record I broke here hasn't been touched yet. So, and it was this that when the army uh, saw what I could do, uh, the army was very happy to have my army division to have a, a champion runner. It was prestigious. Mm my colonel, my general, they were all behind. That was taken when I was in high school. It has a Y 
which was Young High School of New Rochelle. And that was in New Rochelle. I went on from there. When I arrived in Magdeburg, uh, I see these two American MPs. MPs means military police. They were guarding a door shut. So I asked them, I said, why uh, you keep this door shut? And they said, well, that's where the Jewish prisoners are. Now, to me, Jews are human beings. So I said, uh, you know, these people are human beings. You have to open that door. You have to let them out. You are keeping them in prison. They are human. You see, up to there, it was Jew, 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 you know, as if they were not human. So I convinced the American MPs military police to open that door and for the first time the Jews in their costume that Hitler had invented for them mm -hmm. he hated Jews you see and to me they're not Jewish we're not Italian we are human beings and so when I told them that we are human beings, I said, open that door. They opened and these people came out with this crazy costume that Hitler had invented for them. And because uh, there were three leaders in the world at that time that controlled mankind. It was Mussolini, Hitler, and the king of Japan. These three people had decided to enslave mankind. So, uh, I convinced the MPs that those are not Jews, they're human beings. Open that door and I am the man who caused those Jewish people to be freed. What an incredible life you've lived. Well, this, this is, the evidence is all here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Maria and Frank didn't think that I was crazy, but they wanted to see what I had collected, what I had done. What are you most proud of when you look back over your life? What, what I most what are you What are you most proud of when you look back over everything? Uh, that I made an emphasis on humanity rather than being German, being Italian, being Russian, which we are. We are all human. Russians, the Italians, etc. It's, we are either humans 
frankly, whether I am being remembered after I'm gone or not, I couldn't care less. What mattered is that I made the world aware that there are no Italians, there are no Spanish, there are only humans. The French say, voila. <laughs> That's a pretty great legacy to leave behind. Yes, yes, I think so. I want the world to be exactly what it is, one, one nation. There are no <coughs> Russian, no Italians. The blood is human, all the same. And we haven't learned it yet. Yeah. Amazing. Well, good luck to you. Just think, humanity is what has value. Mm -hmm. Being Italian, being French, for the birds. Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Tony Vaccaro. Please head to our website to see a slideshow of Tony's photographs, the trailer for the documentary about him, as well as the short article. For more on Tony, I heartily recommend watching the documentary Under Fire, the untold story of Private First Class Tony Vaccaro, which is available to stream on HBO. We have many wonderful conversations coming up in the next few weeks with artists, photographers, and makeup artists. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. All episode materials are available at ladyworld.tv and on our newsletter. See you next week. Mm -hmm.